This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on wellness, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11. Hi, I'm Rachel. Thinking about the shit that floats in pool water makes me want to gag. My nickname in high school was Roch, and high school coming-of-age movies are my jam. Hi, I'm Janelle. My dog's nickname is Steve. If I were to rebrand myself, I would go by Reese, and I surf. Hi, I'm Arlene Millian, recovering perfectionist. I'm a Cuban refugee and a single mom of three amazing humans. And we are your hosts of the True North Collective podcast. Uh, San Luis Obispo? Is that down south? It's smack center between LA and San Francisco. Oh, it's up north. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, depending depending on where you're from, I feel like people will say either. You're right. Are you north of Santa Barbara? Yeah, about an hour and a half north of Santa Barbara. Got it. I always forget Santa Barbara is north of LA. I always think it's south. Yep, it is north. That's yeah, it took me a minute because there's a lot of like sands between yeah. El Diego. Yeah. And so I had it took me a minute, like, wait, is that next to San Capistrano? Right. San No, you're you're up north. Because <laughs> you're you're also in California, right? Yes. I'm in Southern California. Okay. I, I'm in LA. Because I have to be okay. careful when I say Southern California, because that could be Orange County, that could be San Diego. So I'm in yeah. LA paper. Oh, okay. We're we're in LA. <laughs> no, no, we just You're gonna talk about this. No, I'm saying because Sarah, when we were talking about freeways, she's like, "This is the only town that people talk about where they live, like around freeways." So I'm east of Hollywood. Okay. Um, I'm between Hollywood and Silver Lake. Okay. I don't know where Silver Lake is, but I'm. I feel like I asked that, but I still my California geography is terrible. So, maybe I'll know. Why I say Silver Lake is because I feel like Silver Lake has become like such a, like Williamsburg. It's become such a hip place where people, where it's you know people are talking more about Silver Lake because it's like I say the the capital, the hipster capital of the world. But then I'm reminded by Rachel that that's Williamsburg, and so we're (laughs) we're the Williamsburg of the West Coast. Okay. Yeah, it's they're too cool for school. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, yeah. I'm looking it up now. But I was, but I'm like OG, I'm OG Silver Lake. So I'm, okay. I, I lived in Silver Lake before like any white person would move into Silver Lake Echo Park. <laughs> like the only time we had white, and, and I know you guys are white, so I hope I'm not insulting you guys right now, but the only time we had white people coming through our neighborhood is when they were going to Dodger Stadium, and that was it. No insults taken. We are white. But it's, it's true. It's probably what Brooklyn was a long time ago. Like, yeah, yeah. Spike talks about that a lot. And I'm all for um, a diverse neighborhood. I really love the diversity that the neighborhood has now. I know a lot of people have issues with that. I don't personally. Yeah. But it's just really funny that you would have never, ever seen, like, a you know, young lady that was not Latino walking her dog at eight o'clock at night. Right. There's no 
but if I've ever seen that. Yeah. So. I live okay. in a... Chanel, are you there? I am. I okay. just... My internet switched over. Oh, okay. So hopefully this is better. I was going to say, Arlene, I live... All the places I live, I am usually... Like, I wouldn't say I'm the first round of white people, but I'm like an early adopter to like I like places that feel like they have a culture a strong culture and so Mm -hmm. Dylan and I when we lived in Milwaukee we kind of lived in an area where people were like you can't live there and we were like we do (laughs) and then you know as it got gentrified there was obviously a lot more but I'm like so I don't I don't know I I haven't totally figured out that balance it's even the place we live right now it's like when we first moved here we were definitely, you know, the not the norm. And there was so much thriving culture and like the buildings were what, how they've been forever. And now it's getting so gentrified. And I'm, I don't know if I necessarily, I hear both sides of the coin of like how good it is for a community to get developed, but then how, you know, displaced that can be. And like the, the, originality of a place starts to be gone and so I don't know it's just been interesting the last two places we've lived we've seen such change in just like a year and a half or to two years that we've lived there it's wild like how quickly it can shift yeah I I'm I love I love all of it yeah (laughs) I do and I mean I'm Latina as you know I'm Cuban Mm -hmm. and I the first time I saw some hipsters walking in front of my house, again, walking their dogs at 8 o'clock at night, I came back in my house and I told my aunt, yes, the property value is about to go Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if someone would hear me repeat this, they would think that I'm, like, horrible for saying that. <laughs> but it's sad. But it's, it's sad that it takes, you know – a certain group to come into the neighborhood for there to be more resources. I know. Yeah. You know, know, it's sad, but it's the truth. Like the kind of businesses that we have going up now. I mean, I love it personally. I love it. Yeah. But I, I do understand like the other side of that is like a lot of the lower income families that are pushed out. So, you know, Here we are. Yeah. Have you seen the new Chelsea Handler documentary? Uh, no, but it's so funny. So I know there's a lot for us to cover. So I don't. I don't want you know to to take us off course here. Um, but just yesterday, someone brought up. Is it called white privilege? Yes. So just yesterday, in a twelve step group. <laughs> <laughs> let's just start there yeah in a 12-step group where it's like a mosh posh of you know social economic gender race like you know what well anyways someone brought up a white woman of course brought up and if no one has watched white privilege I highly suggest you watch it and the whole group went up in arms about it because the no-no is that you're not supposed to discuss any outside issues like oh. uh, uh, oh, okay. um, books, 
political. So you're not supposed to mention any outside sources, which okay. I really, um, really love that that is such a tradition in the 12-step community. Um, but this poor woman, she's new to recovery. She had no idea. Yeah. That's the only reason I even know to watch this because just yesterday she she said you know and if and if you haven't watched this you need to watch white privilege and i was like oh okay noted yes. i didn't have a problem with <laughs> mentioning it but everyone else was like no outside issues please yeah no. yeah 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 it's interesting i won't say anything i was unsure if i wa- i mean it's like a jarring name like for me i was like Ugh, it makes me like cringe um but it was a really, it was fascinating. I, I think that she did a good job of opening up a different dialogue around it. So I, I would recommend watch it. having a watch. watch it. It's a quick one too. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Um, I have often said to my friend and friends, because I, I, I have a lot of friends in LA that have a lot of money mm-hmm. and were born into it. And I don't necessarily, I, it was when Get Out came out Mm -hmm. and we were all talking about Get Out and I'm like, and they were like apologizing and I'm like, I don't think that I feel comfortable with the current climate where people, men, white men, white women, white people that were born into money, people that are making, you know, mid six figures. I don't feel like anyone should apologize for me, for yeah, me. Yeah. Like yeah. personally for me, I don't want anyone to apologize for the social economic bracket they were born into, the school that they were privileged to go into, the color that they were born with. I don't feel comfortable with that right now. I yeah. really don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, I work at a law firm that is predominantly male, and I launched the um, diversity and inclusion um, initiative for the firm. I do believe that there's a lot that we need to learn about each other. I think, you know, about one another. I love that there's dialogue now. I love that people are more aware of it. But I also don't like the shaming that's happening as mm, well. Yeah. But that's a whole other conversation that if you yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, I don't like this. Is I like. I know it's know, actually a really, it's a really good conversation to have. It is. If you have that conversation and invite me to be one of the guests. I'm more than happy to. Um, yeah. Yeah, because Done. I have a different. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, so yes, next time. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's an important conversation. It is. It, it it is a really important one, and I do. I. It's such a tricky territory. We had somebody on last year who is a a dear friend of mine that I used to work with, and she now identifies as female. And even navigating that conversation too was like, mm-hmm. how do I ask questions and say things that invite a sense of curiosity and genuine like 
wanting to know and wanting to connect and wanting to understand and wanting to, you know, grow and be able to, you know, wherever, whatever, however more I can accept and be an accepting presence in the world, et cetera, how do I do that? And so um, we very much welcome any of those conversations. Um, and it is like, I feel like I do spend, you know, a lot of time not having those conversations <laughs> at all because they become so taboo really quickly. And that's unfortunate. So, um, yeah. I like it. That's the yumminess of, of human beings. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're interesting people. Yeah. And to yeah. your point, it's like, you, I don't know why I was born into this body versus somebody else's body. And I think about, I used to think about that all the time when I was a kid. I used to like look at people and be like, I literally could have been born into as you. And I wasn't. And that's so freaking wild that I'm me. (laughs) Like it's so crazy. (laughs) Well, my first resentment towards God when I was a little girl was that I wasn't Marsha Brady. Oh my gosh. Like I, I seriously remember like when they started talking about, about like this concept of God and that God makes us, I was really upset. Like God sucks because <laughs> I don't feel like Mr. Brady. <laughs> oh like God. whoever this person oh. created, like that created me sucks right now because I don't know Mr. <laughs> Brady. I'm not kidding you. I am not. not I cannot make this shit up. Like, what part? That... What part of Marsha Brady? Like, what aspect? Okay, so she's tall. Uh-huh, she's uh-huh. blonde. She's white. She was. She has like siblings. I'm an only child. She had like two parents and a housekeeper, and she had like a house with two stories. Like, hello. Yeah. You know what's so funny? <laughs> it's so crazy because so I always had curly hair. And anyone with straight hair who could brush their hair was like, oh, I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. I hate you. Yeah, like I hate you right now. Like I want, like I hate you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I had, when I was sick and I, they had, they made this curly haired wig that was an exact replica of my actual curly hair. And um, I barely wore it because my mom took me to a wig store and was like, you can also pick out like whatever other wig you want. And so we went to this wig store and there was like blonde, short, like red, all these like crazy hair. And so I ended up going for like a bob, a straight bob. And I, I literally, this is so creepy. I can't believe I used to do this in, I was in high school and I used to, I would wear the straight hair wig and I would brush it. People were probably like, what a freak. Because I had cancer, and then I had a wig, and then I brushed my hair, but no one would say anything because that would be so rude. But right. I, I, like, loved it. I was like, this is what it's like when people brush their like, hair. Like, this is what I've it's never, like. I've never but been like, able to But, like, aren't you supposed to brush your wigs? Yeah, it, but it was a wig. It wasn't my actual hair. And yeah. you, like, I think people, most people would put it on a wig stand, maybe. Oh, uh, to brush it? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't care. I still brush it. Girl, I didn't have cancer, but I had like nappy hair. <laughs> and my mom suffered so much because I literally used to cry because I wanted like long hair. So she bought me two um, wig ponytails. Oh my gosh. Wig po- Are those the ones that like you put your hair up and it's fake hair? So 
or it's a wig that's already in a ponytail. Sorry, so now, now I have JR in my head. So, <laughs> you can call me JR. People do. I know. I kind of so, like it. So, so my mom brought home in a box and Rachel, I'm sure you're going to like appreciate this story. So I opened up the box. It had two wig ponytails, like long, like down to my shoulder. Oh, I was about probably seven or eight years old. And so what you would do is you would put your hair into two ponytails. But since I had curly shrink Afro puffs, <laughs> like my hair, like we put, you know, we put it into two uh, pigtails, right? And then you got the wig and you just like took it around and then you snapped it. Oh. So it literally was like really these beautiful, like now I became Cindy Brady. Remember Cindy Brady? <laughs> <laughs> so Cindy Brady, like pigtails. Remember how yeah. cute? Did you put so bows in them? No, it gets even better. So we're in, at Magic Mountain which is like six flags for people that live outside of California. And, I know that one now. <laughs> and we're on the octopus, the octopus ride. I'm with my best friend, Caroline Rivera. She's Puerto Rican. And all of a sudden, her face looks mortified. And it's because one of the pigtails went flying. No! No. Where did it go? When we got off the ride, the little like um, mechanic guy picked up the ponytail and like gave it to me. Oh. <laughs> my, my best friend Caroline Rivera, I'll never forget. She goes, "Can you just take off the other one? I love you with your regular hair." Oh, oh that's like the sweetest thing, though. We could have a whole podcast about black girls in hair. I know. But anyway, <laughs> let's dive into vaginal atrophy. <laughs> okay, There's wait, a one transition. More, wait, one more thing about hair. So my friend, my very best friend from college, ended up adopting three kids from the Congo. And she's like blonde, white, from Indiana. And these kids are like very dark skin. And so she's had to learn all about the hair. And she's like, I had no idea and now she knows all the things and so oh yeah that would be a great podcast episode okay yes vaginal atrophy well well side note a friend of mine um is really good friends with Don Cheadle the actor uh-huh and apparently Don and his wife I forgot what's her name again um went over to visit Brad and um Angelina when they first um adopted oh yeah Sarah. And apparently her hair looked a mess. Oh. <laughs> and Don was like, y'all can't go to Africa and adopt no black babies and bring them back. <laughs> crazy. And they, they went and apparently bought like all, all this product and they had to show Angelina and Brad like how to like keep little Sahara's hair kept. <laughs> I think that is like a hysterical story yeah right like i can imagine though because i i wouldn't know i'm like i can barely like handle my own hair and i've had it for 28 years seriously (laughs) throw a curveball in there and i'd be like i don't know when my friend friend jason told me the story i was like i was dying i'm like that is the most hysterical 
like story about a couple, a white couple adopting a child from, you know, from a, another, from an African descent. Like you, if you don't know how to do their hair that, yeah, it's going to look crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what my friend Amanda said. She was like, I need a bar. No, she didn't even know barber. She was just like, what? I don't, I don't know what to do. What yeah. do I do? And then luckily, like her community, like she has a pretty diverse community. So she was able to, she was just like, what do I do? What do I do? And they're like, you need to get yourself a barber, like stat. (laughs) So she's slowly been learning. You love Queer Eye right now. I feel like when I watch Queer Eye, sometimes I am so fascinated. I'm like, wait, tell me more about how, like just things like you would never think of. Because I'm like, well, I have my hair. And I'm like, I didn't even realize that you needed to do that. Yeah, Jonathan (laughs) knows all. I know. I'm like, damn, how did he learn all this? Do you watch Queer Eyes for a Straight Guy? You know what? I need to. Oh, I need yes, you do. And September has been like, and everything up to September, I feel like the last six months of my life, I've been in a blackout, uh-huh. um, getting ready for the retreat, everything that went into that. And so now I feel like I'm going to start like watching like Queer Eye and like Fleabag. I haven't watched anything. What is that? so Fleabag? I feel like that, I keep hearing about it. Yeah, but I don't, I haven't seen it yet. Is that what it's called? Fleabag? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Because I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen and it. Apparently that's the the show to watch. She won like Best Actress, I think. And she writes for it. And I, I heard it's amazing. All right. I think it's on Amazon. It's cute. Yeah. yeah, I've heard things about it. Haven't so seen fair it. I, I have to catch up on that. So I my literally... Life- I'd literally never watched Queer Eye before a week and a half ago. And people would be like, I don't have cable or anything. And so people would be like, Rachel, you're going to love it. Watch, watch it, watch it, watch it. And I just was like, uh, I, I want to. It's not that I don't want to. I just had so many other shows. And like, then Dylan's been traveling a ton. And so I had like n- no show. I was done with all my shows. And I was like, oh yeah, Queer Eye. I can't stop. It's just okay. nonstop. Sorry. I can't stop. Yeah. But I hear, so I will add it to my queue. Yeah. Be ready to cry every episode. Oh, tears of joy, really? yeah. tears of sadness. It's just, it's an oh. emotional ride. All right. <laughs> um, okay. We're going to introduce you, Arlene. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so <laughs> we have today, I'm super excited to, um, to have you on, Ar- Arlene. Arlene Million. And uh, she, if you guys, uh, if our audience remembers season one, episode five, you probably don't remember it that well. I will remind you, season one, episode five, um, we had on Sarah Phillip who, from Abundalicious. And uh, this is her soon-to-be mother-in-law. And she is just the one of the most fascinating women ever. I'm pretty sure you're going to be on multiple times because you just bring like a really interesting perspective and openness and you're freaking fun and I love it. So Arlene is a vision life strategist and so, 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 so much more. Um, a proud mother, um, a successful businesswoman, just a rad human and we're so excited to have you. So welcome Arlene. Welcome. Oh my gosh, that felt so fancy. <laughs> this is I'm pretty good fancy. with my words. I'm like, I'm like, whoever this woman is, like I want to go out with her. <laughs> I'm really good with words. Um, okay, like, so Arlene. They're going to laugh when they hear this introduction. They're like, oh, <laughs> brother, she really, 
She really got them fooled. <laughs> I know. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna cover some interesting topics today. But before we do that, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Just like high level highlights, so people have an idea of who you are. Oh, how did I get to? You know what? That's a really good question, and I I don't know. <laughs> It's a loaded question. I, I know. It is. It is because it could have gone in so many different directions. Um, I always like to think of. I mean, this is. I'm just gonna let it go, right? It's about yeah. being a, yeah. It's yeah. about being authentic. So I always just uh, like describe my journey as like I just literally like stumbled and stumbled and stumbled and then one day like I got up like and I said oh this is this is where I'm at <laughs> like it just felt like a series of just like stumbles <laughs> like, it's I don't feel like it's been a graceful uh path it certainly hasn't been uh you know like my daughter my daughter came out the womb with a plan <laughs> like I kid you not she came out the womb with a plan um is she your oldest she's my oldest okay. and the way I describe her is she took a look at me and dad and said okay I need to figure this shit out because <laughs> these two clearly have no idea what they're doing and she's she's just one of those human beings that I've watched her like she was very intentional from the time she was in preschool. Mm. Um, for me, it's been messy. It's been messy. I feel like my journey has unfolded literally before my eyes. Um, I'm a late bloomer. Um, I feel that everything on my, you know, all, all that I've experienced on my journey has unfolded. And I, and I, I look up and I'm like, Oh, now we're here. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that even makes any sense. Like basically my life has not made any sense. <laughs> Are you at the point where when you turn around and you look at some aspects of it, you can see how those things had to happen in order for you to be where you are. Like, I think Steve Jobs has that quote that when you turn around, all the dots connect. Well, or it's you... interesting because when people ask me, like, what's this vision life strategist deal? And literally this, when I woke up one morning, like, I was, I was like, what do I do? Like, what is it that I do? Because I was working with someone on developing my brand and, and my logo and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, okay, you need to tell me what this vision life strategist is, and you have to be very succinct. And I, one morning, I woke up and I and I heard you help humans connect the dots to create a life worth weird. Oh, <laughs> so I I wrote it down right away. Um, and so it's funny that you talk about connecting the dots because. I think that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I feel like that's my calling because I feel like my dots have been so zigzagged. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I feel like my thoughts had been so zigzag. So it makes sense that this is my calling is to help others to connect the zigs and the zags. Yeah. I, I, so, love, I love it. And so um, it's been a series of events that when I look back now, you know, I'm going to be 51 in a couple of weeks. I, I will tell you that people that have known me for, you know, two decades um, are probably like scratching their heads. Well, they, they won't tell me that. But I know that a lot of people are scratching their heads and, and thinking like, boy, I, I would have never bet on this one. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, like, because people tell me, they're like, Arlene, like your life as it's unfolding, they, will, they would never say like, we're shocked. <laughs> I, know real, that, I know that's really what people say. Like, we are shocked that her life is what it is today. And you, let me tell you, there's no there's no one more shocked than me. I was going to say, are you shocked? Yeah. <laughs> every day I wake up, every day I wake up, I cannot believe this is my life. Yeah. Every day, every day I wake up, I cannot believe this is my life. So give us some of your, the extreme dots as examples. Well, um, I don't think I would have made it past 21 had it not been for me um, getting pregnant with my eldest. Um, I, I, it's funny, I was showing my son Anthony a picture of me today, uh, a photo of me on my way to Purple Rain. 1987 oh my gosh, purple that's amazing. concert at the forum in LA and I thought that I was Apollonia 6 <laughs> and I'm you know that was the first time I ever tried I'll say coke for those that would not understand if I said blow mm-hmm. <laughs> and from that First, never did any drugs, and you know my my friend uh, at the time she turned to me and she said, "Do you want some?" And I didn't ask, but what kind of effect is this going to have on me? Um, what is it? I said, "Sure," <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, I had just turned like eight, I think I was eighteen wow. um, or sh- or shy of eighteen, and. You know, from the girl that had a very promising future that was going to get a full ride scholarship to UCSB, UC Santa Mm -hmm. uh, UC Barbara. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be an anchor woman. So that, from that, that being like the future ahead of me, to uh, about a year later, not even a year later. Summer of 1986, I'm, I'm on, you know, on my knees, on my carpet, looking for blow in my carpet, but mm-hmm. it being my mother's carpet fresh. I don't know if you guys even know what carpet fresh is. No. But, no. Um, it was a, it was a, a powder. Oh that, yeah. 
Yeah, it was a powder that you would put on your carpet and then and you would vacuum, vacuum it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, so I would like find these little, my mom like loved Carpet Fresh. And so I, I would find like the little white, you know, yeah. thing, carpet. And I thought, you know, because I was, I was like strung out. Wow. And so that's how fast, <laughs> that's how fast. Yeah. All those dreams of becoming an anchor woman and going on to college, um, that, that's how fast it went down down the, the, the pipe. Yeah, I have a few friends, same thing. It was like just so fast, like within a year. Um, yes. and, and they are all doing wonderfully. So it's like the, yeah. the zigs and the zags, that is real. That is zigs. very real. <laughs> zigs and the zags. And so... Um, if, if it weren't for the fact that I got pregnant with my daughter, um, I definitely know that I would have OD'd mm. um, because there was there was one there was one specific incident that I I my heart was racing really hard and I was really high and uh, I said, okay, God, like uh, if you get me out of this one, I promise I will never do blow again and. I don't know, you know, I know a lot of people have issues with that three-letter word, and I, I certainly did. Um, I was an atheist for a while, mm -hmm. um, but I did. I, I said, God, if you could get me out of this one, I'll never do blow again. And, you know, I always say, like, God knew that I never kept promises. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, he, you know, I, I got pregnant three months later, and so, um, yeah, that, 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 that I, I often say that children and marriages uh, got my my addiction into remission. Wow, <laughs> that's a miracle in more than one way. And and that's the one that came out the womb with the plan. Of course she did. Um, and and when so when people tell me like, what did you do to have such amazing kids? Because they're all amazing. Um, and and I I. I crack a joke because humor is I think one of my my assets um, in terms of what saved my life mm. and I've often said well I think you know being this free-spirited quote-unquote um, person and freaking your kids out so much they're like, <laughs> oh my gosh I better be I better do everything different from this one <laughs> Oh because God. I have friends that did go on to, you know, higher education that did plan everything in their lives and and did do everything, you know, just very um, methodical. And then, you know, they have these kids that they're like, oh, my gosh, what what do we do with these? It is wild true. Yeah, yeah, they say, don't the kids do the opposite of what you tell them to? <laughs> I, I have friends, I kid you not, I have women that I I have mentored that were homeschooled, that the family was so religious that they didn't even allow their kids to sleep, you know, have sleepovers, um, that didn't watch Disney movies. And these girls went, like, crazy when they went on to college mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they'll probably listen to this podcast so they will remain anonymous yeah um obviously but here these girls 
that their parents thought that they were doing everything so right to to protect them right from from all these you know the outside and their kids turned out wild yeah so there you have it you know there you have it so what other zigzags do you want to hear we've talked a little bit about your identity as a mom and I find it super fascinating the conversation do you remember the conversation we had the last time about how about how I wanted my mom to be shared yeah yeah (laughs) I think this is such a cool okay first of all before we go into that have you always been this open about everything and so calm about it and so okay that's maybe not the right word um you're just you you're just like this is it like you're so accepting of all of the things have you always been that way? Mm, I would say that I think I have always been this way. However, I I also know in my 20s and in my 30s, I definitely did it more as a, I'm just going to shock you Mm -hmm. it was more of like I'm just gonna shock you like I'm just gonna be so authentic and so real but it was more of a mask Mm -hmm. almost Mm -hmm. yeah sure because although I was so quote-unquote being so real and authentic and this is who I am and I'm gonna live very unapologetically and People really didn't know what was going on. Right. Like no one, no one had a clue of how how dark um, and how sad I was inside mm-hmm. and how empty I felt. I so appreciate you saying that because my whole like a lot of what I do is connecting people to their authenticity and the power that exists there and. You're absolutely right. Like anything at an extreme can be a detriment. And it's kind of weird to think that authenticity at an extreme could be a detriment to yourself. But in certain contexts, it it absolutely can be. Um, and so I really appreciate that because I can look back at times in my own life where um, where I, I totally used authenticity as like my excuse to to just do some crazy shit and so yeah 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 because that's really it like it it really was my disclaimer to people yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah. just just know like it was it was yeah it was especially with men especially mm. with men i got my first quote unquote date if you want to call it that <laughs> um i would just like basically vomit you know like okay dude let me tell you like how crazy this ride is going to be and <laughs> and just 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 know that if you decide to get on this ride you can't get upset with me later mm. because I'm telling you about you know I'm I'm going to tell you all the crazy stuff that I've done because I want you to know who I am it was bs it was it was my way of saying like I'm I want you to co-sign all the yeah. bad behavior yeah. Un- unravel. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are just like I think that there I 
there's so much of what you're saying that I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally did that. And mine wasn't necessarily expressed through drugs, but through bad behavior, like through being manipulative, through being an asshole, like through being allowing my, I'm very, very smart and I'm very emotionally, um, I'm very connected to like my emotions and I know how to navigate and like get people to do things, which is not easy for me to admit because I really am like a very kind hearted person. And there were many times that I definitely like, I took advantage of exactly what you're saying um, with people. And so I appreciate you vocalizing this. And I also am like, holy shit, I totally do see that. <laughs> and I just never, like, I was never put in those words before. And now I'm like, wow, that's wild. Yeah, no, it, it and, and at least you have that wherewithal. I didn't. <laughs> like, yeah. I had no idea. I mean, you and I, we covered about, we covered this um, in our previous conversation mm -hmm. that, how the level of awareness that women you're in your you know in today's age and you know in their 20s and their 30s you're you're and even in in teens i hear some you know women in their teens some young women i'm like the level of awareness you guys have today is like mind-boggling to me i didn't even realize this rachel until i was 36 until i had my my, my bottom and my spiritual awakening and I got out of denial, that's when I realized like, oh my gosh, I wasn't being authentic. I was just, this was like how I got people on board for my bad behavior. Right, right, <laughs> totally. Oh, it's now, so crazy. So coming back to my mom yeah, and Cher. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes, I, I need to hear this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, and by the way, feel free to be like, okay, Arlene, back to... No, talk about Cher. Like, this is a good one. Talk, yes. about, talk about zig and zagging. Like, <laughs> just know I have ADD. So I do not take offense when people have to bring me back to, like, the, the, the question or what we were talking about, the topic at hand. We're here for it. So, so I remember watching the Sunny and Cher show as a kid and comparing my mother to Cher. Um, I wanted my mom to dress in, in a, you know, glamour sequence dress with long, you know, have straight, long, long black hair and long lashes and the frosted green eyeshadow. And <clears throat> I remember <clears throat> looking over, um, what, looking at, I, I mean, I have a clear memory of Cher carrying at the time her, you know, her daughter's name was Chastity <clears throat> and Cher having chastity on her hip. She was wearing a, a long black sequins dress and me looking over to my mother in her typical zipped up robe and um, that she had been in for days and thinking, gosh, like Cher looks so happy. And my mom just looks so sad. And, you know, I, I, saw Cher as this woman that was, you know, sexy and happy and pretty. And I just, my mom looked so sad. And um, I, I didn't know that my mom was doing the best she could because she had mental illness. I didn't know my mom had mental illness, illness until I was in my early 20s. And so I made a decision um, at some point in my life that I was going to be like Cher. And so 
Um, what does that look like? I but not I, just share. You wanted to be sh- mom share, right? As yes, a mom, yes. you want. <laughs> Yes, I have my <laughs> little chastity. I freaking love it. I was, and, and, and I mean, I was not going to turn in my stilettos yeah. for flat. You know, I, I was I was not going to curb my social life for staying home every weekend after doing my mommy duties. You know, I was, I, this was like, again, my, my, um, you know, I'm going to be an authentic woman that I was not going to give up my womanhood for motherhood <laughs> and I was going to live this unapologetic life that I was going to to be able to do both. I was going to have it all. And so I often said like, wow, I took it to such an extreme. You know, I took it to such an extreme. And I sometimes wonder, and I don't know if I've had this conversation with my kids, um, I'm sure they wish they would have had more of the mom that, yeah, did stay at home more and was more present, you know. Um, And that's the irony of life that we hear, you know, we think that we want the mom that we want or we think that we want the family that we want. And, you know, it's, it's my journey. And I wouldn't have traded my mom, um, and it's, it's interesting. Tomorrow's my mom's um, birthday, Aww. and my mom passed away in 2007. And um, the older I get, um, and the more that this journey unfolds for me, um, I didn't appreciate my mom and her quiet wisdom. And um, I certainly have so much more compassion for her. Um, because she she was an amazing grandmother and she was not the same grandmother that she was as a mother. Mm-hmm. My mother was a whole different person um, as a grandmother. I think that happens, doesn't it? I don't know if it happens for everyone, mm-hmm. but it did happen for for me. Like that's my story yeah. with my mom. Sure. And, and there are times um, that I have gone through a certain scenario or that I've heard my daughter say something to me um, along the lines of, you know, of I get on her nerves. <laughs> and darn it, if it's not the same conversation that I had with my mom. Yeah. You know? and, um, and I wish... I wish I would have asked my mother more questions about her as a woman. Mm. I love that. And so I, I wouldn't trade my mom um, for share. Um, <laughs> do you feel like? Do you feel like you got to embody your version of share as a mom? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's cool though, because what you the point that I hear and what you're bringing up is that like we each, however we show up at whatever part of the journey that we're in, have something to offer in whatever way it is that we offer it. And um, I hear you saying, "I see it now," and I 
I might not have before. I didn't before, but I see it now. And I can see that in myself maybe too, that, you know, me as, you know, share mom and my mom as like the quieter wisdom, neither was better or worse. They were just different. And then on the flip that it actually, and I have this conversation with um, my, my brother and his girlfriend are pregnant and I just got back from their baby shower in Palm Springs and my brother has been asking, you know, for advice for how to be a great parent and all this stuff. And I was like, I'm not a parent, so I am not going to tout that I have all the wisdom, but, um, as I, I don't think that you can really, I don't think you're going to fuck them up. Like, you know, they're going to be who they are. They have their own journey too. And, you know, you could have looked back and been like, I did like the full on share mom thing and I wasn't necessarily all there all the time, but they turned out beautifully. And, you know, your mom was who she was and you turned out beautifully. And we all have to go through what we go through in order to become who we're going to become. And sometimes our parents are just a part of that learning process, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I could only speak, what you just, you know, what you just shared about your your brothers and, you know, I don't want to fuck this up. The truth is it's we could do it so in our version of, like, we don't, you know, we're going to do everything right. Mm-hmm. And there is just, I mean, kids, my goodness. I mean, I, oh, I often say, my kids, I don't really feel like I've taught them much. I feel like they're they're here to teach, they, like, they're, they're my teachers. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm like, thank you so much for all the lessons you taught me. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, like, they are my teachers. Um, because, like I said, I know parents that have done it so right. And their kids, they tell me, Arlene, what did you do? Your kids are amazing. You know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how this works. I really don't know how this works. Um, and listen, I would have preferred to not have been born into a, a mother that suffered with mental illness, and you know, we we you know she was on welfare and and uh, everything, all the trauma that I experienced, you know, not seeing my father after I left the country, um, the stepfather the sexual abuse like do I do I am I one of those people that says like I chose this path that's not me that's yeah. not my yeah I don't either it's a beautiful utopian way of thinking and I know that I have friends that do believe that they chose their path that's a whole other podcast for me <laughs> however I do believe that I I get to choose every day whether I want to stay in the narrative of that's my that's the the trauma and I I, I choose every day do I want to stay in my trauma or do I want to choose life and rewrite that that story yeah yeah. Um, and so I am grateful that as a result of the pain and the trauma that I'm, I'm able to, to have the level of empathy that I have f- 
toward people that have mental illness, that have, um, we have similar journeys. So if that is why I had to go through what I went through is to be able to help others, then so be it. Hmm. Sometimes some of our greatest struggles become our, our greatest gifts too. It's the only way for me that I'm able to say, okay, this is, this is what I choose to believe what you just shared. Um, JR, it's what I choose for myself because otherwise it would be a very sad existence for me. Yep. Sure. I can relate and to that. Many years coming back to what I shared of people thought that they knew me and people thought that I was an open book, but I wasn't really sharing the shame that I had and the brokenness that I felt and this perpetual feeling of like just otherness that I never felt a part of. That's the stuff that I wasn't sharing. Mm. And so, um, I wasn't living an authentic life because I was not connecting to people. Although on the outside, it looked like it. Right. Oh, it's so so it, it does give me a sense of purpose to know that, from that muck, from that darkness, from that pain, I've been able to take, you know, what, you know, that, all that, and, and then use it for a purpose, that my pain does have purpose, that I don't have to stay in the pain and numb. Yeah. Totally. It's very relatable. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> It's beautiful. So, so how does vaginal atrophy play in? <laughs> what, what dot is that? Is it a dot? Oh, that was really smooth transition. I like that one, Rachel. Uh, well, let's see. Um, hmm. If you ever would have told me that vaginal and atrophy were going to be used in the same sentence um I probably would have punched you yep. <laughs> <laughs> can you okay for anyone who doesn't know what it is would you be willing to explain it well I mean there's so many different versions of it but this is the one that I um was told when the doctor so I was, I was, you know, on my back getting my annual pap, pap, um, and it was very painful. This one, you know, exam was very painful, and I've never had any memory of a painful pap, and um, I had not had sex for many, many years, by choice, by choice, and my doctor. Um, was done with the exam and he you know pushed him you know he was sitting on the little rolly you know swivel chair and he pushed back and this is my OBGYN since I was 23 years old and he said he called me kiddo um, he just retired so <laughs> he just retired and he always refers to me as kiddo and he said well kiddo he goes uh, he goes did you know, have you noticed a difference in your, in your, uh, I forgot, like in your, 
have, have you experienced a difference? And I said, well, um, what do you mean? He goes, that was really painful. And he, and I said, yeah. And he goes, you have, uh, he goes, have you had painful intercourse? And I said, well, I haven't had intercourse for about four or five years. And he said, well, that also explains it. And he said, you have vaginal atrophy. And I literally looked like Linda Blair in like the exorcist. Like (laughs) on my back, I literally like just came up and I looked and my legs, you know, my, my, my feet are still on the, you know, the scattered, right? And I come up and he's sitting in between my legs and I said, what? (laughs) I had no idea what the heck he was vaginal atrophy, but the, like those two words should never be used in the same sentence. Yeah. And he started, like, he chuckled, and he said, basically, because you had early menopause, I had menopause at 41. So um, now we're, what, at 49 when I got um, diagnosed? So he's like, because you're postmenopausal, you have, you know, no estrogen, the walls of your, um, I think it's your cervix, um, basically, um, when you have your period, those walls have the, you know, it gets engorged. And then when you have your period, those walls, the lining of those walls, I'm doing a really bad uh, <laughs> medical. Whoever <laughs> this, just Google vaginal yeah. atrophy. <laughs> Wait, how common is it? bottom line is I basically, the walls of my um, cervix, I believe it is, um, they're, they're flattened. Now. It's like muscle atrophy. Mm. Like it's, it's muscle atrophy. And so since there's no sex involved, does that make it there's worse? No, there's no I believe it probably, probably can. Yeah. And there's no estrogen. Right. I didn't take any estrogen. Um I didn't do any estrogen treatments. Mm-hmm. Um and so basically my vagina atrophied. And for someone that's a recovering sex addict, um, that is a very scary diagnosis. Yeah. What did you, I mean, do they have like, here's some pamphlets? Like, what did you do? <laughs> no, I Googled. Like, okay. what else do you do? Yeah. You stay up till three o'clock in the morning uh, Googling. Like, like, that for, rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, get the pamphlets. Like, I literally was like walking out of that the 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 appointment thinking my like what does what does life look like with vaginal atrophy and so me having that you know obsessive compulsive brain of mine um I literally googled vaginal atrophy till like uh, you know God only knows until what time in in the wee morning you know we hours in the morning because it was like, you know, my my lady parts have been such a, a big, big part of my uh, identity. Yeah. Woman. Yeah. You know, um, that, that being, you know, atrophied was like, oh, my goodness. Like, what is life going to look like? And mind you, I... I 
haven't had sex for many years, but just knowing that that part of me is atrophied, it made me wonder, like, well, what else is yeah. going to happen? Which, by the way, I recently laughed and peed all over myself. <laughs> and, and, oh, I kid you not, this just happened two weeks ago. It's so whole. Oh, my God. And uh, that was, I had to laugh. And it's with somebody that I'm dating. And we just stood there laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, well, if if this is not dating in your 50s, I don't know what <laughs> You know, sometimes that's all you can do, though, right? You have to laugh. Yeah, yeah. you I have mean, to. You gotta you take know, it all so when, seriously. Yeah, when you guys ask me, like, what, like, one of what's one one of my attributes, I would say that it's laughter. Yeah. You know, because it because it it could be this life, this journey called life could be very 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 dark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing, too, like, we had somebody on, uh, I don't know, it was a few weeks ago, um, and she's a death doula, and so we had a really good conversation with her just about death, and, like, because at a certain point, like, nobody wants to, we live in a society that is so obsessed with youth, and nobody wants to, like, even consider the possibility that we're growing old and that our bodies are going to start to atrophy like they're going to and literally like literally it's happening and and that's we had that conversation of like it's happening and then we neglect like our society at at large pretty much just kind of like throws older people away yet they have so much wisdom like I know this may seem like kind of a you know a weird conversation to be having but genuinely when I was talking to my girlfriends from college because I'm 36 now and we will be on Marco Polo which I don't know if you know what that is but it's a video chat that you can do and we're all over the country so it's a way for us to stay connected and when we learn different things about being a woman aging we share them with each other and we're like holy shit we didn't know that that was a thing and so when I told them I'm like you guys I just had a conversation with this woman she's going to be on our podcast you have to listen to it and I was explaining this they were like I genuinely want to know more because it's like normalizing this stuff like it's 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 happening it's it's gonna happen um and it doesn't happen to everyone um but no one told me about this and I and and then then I'll I'll we can move on to the next conversation but there is this thing called vaginal dilators so who you guys my eyes are really wide right now (laughs) you can only imagine when I got that little box in the mail at at my company um, (laughs) I was away in France and I was like oh I hope the mailroom doesn't do me the favor of opening it up because you know sometimes like mailrooms will be like they'll just open up the box just for you for you I guess to not have to like actually God forbid yeah, yeah. for you to do it yourself. You're yeah. very and I it just hit me. I'm like, oh boy, I hope the thing did not like for you know to do me a nice service, open it up for me. And Sarah and I were laughing. But yeah, there's actually um these exercises that you do and they're called vaginal uh, dilators and they're for pelvic floor exercises. Okay, so kind of like Kegels. 
Go ahead and Google that lady. Yeah, yeah. I have so much Googling to do. (laughs) Fun time. Well, and it's like, I don't know. It's not so much, like, my point isn't so much about, like, we need to know everything. It's more so, like, normalizing some of these conversations so that, because, like, you can't know all of it, and you shouldn't know all of it. And to your point, not everything's going to happen to everybody. However, by knowing some of the stuff, it can, uh, to me, it makes it feel like then when my quote-unquote weirdo thing shows up, I can be like, okay, there's weird stuff that exists in the world. I've heard other people who get things, and so... I don't know. It can just be very, for me, it can, it has been very isolating at times when I haven't felt like I was around people who were open about their experience of life. And when I've been able to surround myself with people who are, it's made things less scary because I know that there's a whole bunch of weird shit that I don't know about and <laughs> it's going to be okay yeah. when it shows up. Yeah, I know when, you know, how a lot of my friends, that are now just perimenopausal, um, because I obviously I got it early, um, they're just now going through the stuff, and so they're asking me questions, and I'm like, you guys chill out, because I think there's so much to wait on, again, that this is such a big um, part of like our, sen- our, our, our sexuality, or like, being a woman like oh no once the change happens then what i'm like dude the change happened to me at 41 yeah i'm no less of a woman yeah you know like it's just really interesting like hopefully gwyneth paltrow won't listen to this and get offended but like gwyneth paltrow apparently like did this whole thing on goop about I'm, you know, I have metal, like, menopause is happening. I'm like, girl, chill out. Yeah. <laughs> like, chill out. It doesn't have to be a thing. Yeah. Like, you, you know, I see that a lot in, like, all these blogs about the change and hot flashes. And guess what? The rest of the women in this world go through menopause. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a thing. You're Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm sure you have an acupuncturist. I'm sure you have, you know, uh, someone that's coming over and doing something to your vagina. I'm sure. I'm sure Goop is gonna come up with something that it's gonna do. It doesn't have to be a thing. Like menopause is not new, people. Yeah. It's not new. I just I appreciate it because I am probably gonna be premenopausal. Um, because of the treatments that I had and I I think that I have been those like if there's drama in that and and so now to know like oh okay it happened it's like it's okay I think that um yeah just call me yeah it's exactly what's gonna happen I'm having flat <laughs> with vaginal atrophy and <laughs> I should be like the commercial for the diet I know <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, the, the lady riding the bike. Yes. Like, <laughs> I just my peed my pants while laughing. About peeing on myself. Oh my god. Oh, I too can. Oh my god, so good. Oh, but you're so not alone in that, though. Yeah. That's always yeah. 
I'm pretty it's, sure I it is. It's nice to be relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like Rachel, you and I, like, we'll talk about poop or acne or things that people don't talk about it, but then it just makes you feel so much like it is normal and it, it makes it feel less shameful or like, like there's something wrong with it. Um, so I've always appreciated that. And all my friends of people that are just willing to, to go there and it's like, yeah, like happens to all of us. Yeah. Not a big deal. We can just laugh it off. It's a part We're of life. Fine. We're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> our, our vagina is a, an organ. It's part of who we are. It's not, it doesn't dictate our self-worth and how, sexy we feel it's not yeah yeah yep having your period it doesn't have to be like a thing of of like once it stops now what now i'm old my god i can't wait to not have my period can i i I love it i love it i love it and yes there's also the estrogen for sure yeah it it does it does have a it does have an effect on your body, but then, but then things change, and you find a different rhythm. Yeah. Your body finds a different rhythm. That's all it is. Yeah. You just stay with the rhythm, and or either you resist it, and then and then that sucks, mm-hmm. as you know. Anything that we resist in life, right? Yep. Like, yeah, it's like okay, here we are. Mm-hmm. This is the new rhythm. Yep, new reality. You gotta go with it. Yeah. Let go of the rock and float down the water. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was like, let go of that rock. What did you say? We had someone on who was saying that she, like, there's a visual that she has for herself where she's like, there's a river and everything's falling down the river and she's like grasping onto this rock for dear life. And she's like, just let go, Brooke. Fucking just let go. And like, just allow yourself to float down the river. Or, or get dragged all along yeah. the side of that mountain exactly. yeah. and get all the branches yep. and everything gouging exactly. into your like skin, right? Yeah, and exactly. And everything like bleeding like all along the side. Totally. Of exactly. Yeah. Just let go. Just be there for it. But, but it's, easier, <laughs> it's easier said than done. And you're talking to someone who's a recovering perfectionist and you're talking to someone that control is like, I've often said, what what drugs and alcohol is to an addict, control is to like, you know, I also can use control as like a drug and, and, and the high that I get from that. So listen, I I'm all I get the let go, but it's easier sometimes than others. And what what do we say in the world of recovery? We say like let go, get dragged. Let go or get dragged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. So I'd like to hear more maybe about some of the, we'll refer to them as dots um, around addiction that you've experienced. Cause I'm definitely just curious. I always feel like I have somewhat of an addictive personality too. So, it, and it's something, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I haven't fully grasped my head around. So I'm always curious when other people seem to have that similarity, how they handle it and how they got there. Well, for me, um, I look at there's just one state that I, I that as a as a recovering addict and as from the my first memories of me 
me being like addicted, although as a child, you don't know what that is. But I, my first addiction was sugar. And I don't know if you guys remember Pixie Sticks. Oh, yeah. So in the 70s, um, Pixie Sticks. I, at some point, decided, screw the Pixie Sticks. Um, the the Kool-Aid powder is the what's in the Pixie Sticks. So why am I going to buy Pixie Sticks when I could have a whole packet of this? Oh, my gosh. And so, you know, being the little four-year-old manipulator that I was, I told my mom that I wanted her to buy um, Kool-Aid packets. And my mom, you know, we were immigrants, so my mom was not happy about this, you know, weird powder that her, you know, daughter wanted her to put in the in, in, in the water. And I remember, like, being very upset, like, we're not going to buy that. That's not good. That's what American people drink. And, and I, anyways, I convinced her. <laughs> so then she was noticing that the packets of, of, of um, Kool-Aid were disappearing. And she asked me about it. And I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, literally at four, I'm lying about, like, my drugs, wow. right? Like, so then I graduated to Tang. You guys probably don't remember. Oh, no, I know Tang. I, I actually know Tang I know as Tang. well. So Tang came in, like, the big uh -huh. canister. And mm -hmm. I literally used to go into the Tang with a spoon. And then my mom started wondering, like, why is the Tang, like, you know, why am I, why is this, like, where, Arlene, what's happening with the Tang? And I would be like, what are you talking about? So... This is how I view my brain. My brain as an early, like like anything that made me feel euphoric, I was on board. There is one emotion that I love. There's one state that I love to be in, and that is euphoria. That is what I chase. Yeah. That could come in the form of sugar. It could come in the form of spending. It could come in the form of sex. It could come in the form of alcohol. It could come in the form of, uh, of, of alcohol. Like, I just want to feel one emotion, and that's euphoria. And so is it? does it become the addiction when you want that at, at the expense of everything else in your life like any everything else can go to quote-unquote shit is that how like how you would view it I just I thought that for whatever reason I was subhuman and I did not I was not a mere mortal and, and so I don't I don't want to experience the emotions at all the rest of the humans mm -hmm. gotcha like I made a decision I think it was around 16, right before I started using, um, that women were weak and that you guys were needy mm -hmm. and you guys did all that crying over boys and mm -hmm. I was not going to be like the women in my family and I was going to be like a dude. Yeah. And dudes don't feel and dudes have a lot of fun and dudes have a lot of sex and dudes party. And so I, I made a decision that I was going to be like a dude. And so 
drugs, alcohol, and everything in between, um, whatever, I, I didn't have time to feel feelings like women nor like, like mere mortals. Yeah. So whatever would check me out of like, I, I describe it like this. If, if, if some sadness was like, if I felt like a tinge of like sadness coming up or, or like I was about to cry, I would like reach for whatever I needed to, to not feel my feeling. Wow. Yep. There was only one feeling that I like to feel and that's euphoria. And that, you know, that's why I love laughter. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why I like amusement rides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> No, it totally makes sense. I think that's something I've always tried to be mindful of is it's the same thing for me. If I feel sad, if I don't want to feel something, like I've always had vices that maybe not as extreme, but that I go to just so I don't have to sit in my own feelings. If I feel lonely, I will eat food or I'll drink wine or whatever it may be. Um, But yeah, it's hard. Instead of just sitting there, and deciding that like it'll pass but be in it and just stick through it like yourself feel what you need to feel oh it is interesting I feel like Rachel you and I have talked about that for a long time yeah (laughs) since you've known me I'm like identifying things that I choose to go you know consume or I mean most of the time it's consumption but um based around feelings like I can almost always tie an emotion to a craving Mm -hmm. because it's just a way that you try to sort of get out of your, get out of your head. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I was going to, well, I was going to shift gears a little bit. So finish your thought and then I'll go there. No, it, 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 it is the craving part. Um, the, the interesting thing, you know, now, now 13 years, you know, um, removed or I don't know if I removed is but 13 years sober and enough time uh, you know in in this place where I get to see what my life was before you know I, I chose to to live this life of of sobriety um, which for me, sobriety is not, oh, I put down the drugs and the alcohol or the, you know, addictive behaviors. That's not what sobriety is to me. Sobriety to me, um, I want emotional sobriety because there's a lot of people that stop doing the actual acting out behavior but still are crazy, in my opinion. Um, I, I, don't, I, I chose that I, I want an emotional I, – I want to be emotionally sober. So what does that look like, Right. So I want to be present and experience it all. I want to experience everything in my life in real time. And so to what you were saying, JR, um, I, I don't, I don't, I no longer feel like when I have a feeling, I no longer need to stay isolated with that. Yeah. Like I can call someone and there's uh, my inner tribe, and I call them, and I'm like, this is how I'm feeling right now, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. And I, and my inner tribe knows that when I make that call, because it's not always easy, <laughs> this is definitely a new way of, you know, being for me, um, I don't want you to fix it. 
I don't want you to tell me how it's going to pass. I just need you to sit there and let me just talk about it. Yeah. And sometimes I'll be like, okay, can we go out and get some ice cream? You know, and sometimes I do want my friends to give me some feedback and sometimes I don't. You know, so it's it's not just about sitting in it. It's about getting out of isolation and letting people know, like, this sucks right now. And sometimes it's turning on Netflix. And Netflix has been my boyfriend for many years. <laughs> Netflix has been the best boyfriend. And sometimes it's journaling. Mm -hmm. yeah. so there's a lot of ways that I now process my um, emotions but but I no longer have to act out in destructive ways. Yeah. I want to acknowledge your self-responsibility and mm -hmm. your ability to share with people how they can hold space for you because um, I think that that's such a huge part of um, the work that I do, which is it's not just about how do you take care of yourself, but it's how do you take care of yourself as an integrated person within society, as an integrated person within the people around you. And what that means is um, being able to clearly articulate or maybe not even clearly articulate, maybe even just being able to like muster up a like, I don't need advice right now. Just listen. Can you just listen? And if they can't, to know that you have another, like that you have other people that you can go to. And it's probably been one of the biggest parts of my own growth is being able to recognize uh, some semblance of what I need. It might not be exactly it, but I know a little bit. And to be able to have the wherewithal to pause long enough to say, hey, I need this. Do you have the capacity to be that space for me right now and to know that if they can't that it has nothing to do with me and that is them being responsible for themselves and that I can I have other people that I can go to um I just it seems small but it's not it's like you're allowing other people to be successful in holding space for you when you can share um the role that you would like for them to play and then also to be able to allow them to say no if they need to um it's really beautiful. Well, and I think as a friend too, I always appreciate that because sometimes, I mean, most of the time, you always want to be there for your friends, but sometimes you don't actually know how to. And then, like, I've been that where I, my friend is telling me something and I really, truly want to just be what they need me to be, but I don't know what that is. And if they don't communicate it or I don't ask, because I can also ask, obviously, then I can just leave feeling kind of even crappier because I know how they're feeling and I don't even know if I did anything to help or if I just made it worse, you know, by doing something that actually was the exact opposite of what they needed, even though you really, I mean, you truly want to be there, but we don't always know how to be. Yeah, we don't always know how. And certainly at 50, I've learned um, the hard way that, not everybody wants my advice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter especially has uh, been one of my greatest teachers with that um, because it's so easy for me to go into fix-it mode. That's just part of my DNA coming from the, you know, my, the family that I was raised in, and I thought that I was responsible to take care of all the adults' feelings in my family. 
And so it's such an easy role for me to take on. And um, when people call me and they're, you know, having feelings, it's so easy for me to go to that place of like, I'm going to hold space for you. And I had to even be discerning and selfish when people would call me to do that because I realized that I was trying to hold space for everyone else and then there was no space for me. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, and so now I'm very discerning about how much space I hold for other people. And um, I'm also careful with people that call me with the same shit every time and don't want any feedback. That's exhausting as well. And I've had to say that to a couple of um, acquaintances that are no longer my friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had to have that honest conversation like, girl, like it's been three years and this is the same conversation that we have. And as your friend, I don't think I could continue listening to this and you not wanting feedback. Maybe I'm not the best person for you to talk to about this. And I have lost friendships because of that and I'm I'm completely cool with it now and that's been really great for my people pleasing yeah (laughs) non-attached boundaries I used to I'm I've been playing with boundaries for the last like two months um it's painful it is so painful it's so painful (laughs) especially because well so I had this aha last month as I've I've been doing this thing called future self journaling there's a a woman that I follow on Instagram and she is becoming very popular. Um, but anyways, I was doing it on boundaries because it was I was just struggling with them so much. And I had an aha where I was like, if your boundary is a protective mechanism, if the intention behind it is I have to protect myself from this person or like I have to defend myself, I have immediately gone into a victim state and that's no longer a boundary. And so that's been really, I've been playing with that for about the last month and it's made the boundaries, not that they're easier per se, but I don't feel like I'm on the swing, swinging quite so hard and like having to like, but I'm still fight or flighting when I do boundaries that way. But when I do boundaries from a place of like, okay, what, what am I doing to just take care of me right now and to be non-attached to, to what the other person is going through, not from as an asshole like with love how can I honor me without dishonoring you and how can I honor you without dishonoring me um and that has been a game changer for me it it's this boundary thing again you know at five years old the boundaries were ripped away from me Mm -hmm. so that was like a I, I I am the poster child or someone that had literally, I I had to learn what boundaries look like by it being, um, what is it, modeled to me through my spiritual teachers, through women in my life that are my mentors. That's why I think mentorship and coaching um, are so important and have played a huge role going back to connecting the dots. There's no way that I could be the woman who I, I'm at, you know, where I'm at on my journey today without women that have gone before me saying, hey, this is what we did. Um, And mentorship and coaching, I think it's so important for us to have people in our lives that are not going to co-sign our BS and 
and are not going to co-sign, you know, our, our, our bad behaviors and are going to call us out. I need those people in my tribe. I need you to call me out. And so um, to, to the point that you just made, I think that the best way for me to honor my truth is by me being authentic and Sometimes there are times that friends of mine call me, and again, I don't feel that I'm really being authentic if I'm just going to stay quiet and go, uh-huh, Yeah. okay, mm-hmm, totally. okay, I'm going to hold space for the thousandth time, <laughs> you know, and at some point I had to say, okay, this is not me being authentic, this is me being a people pleaser. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, it's a fine line, and I often say, like, boundaries is not for me on other people. Boundaries is for me. Absolutely. Boundaries is not for me, you know, for me to hold people, you know, like, push them away. The boundaries are for me. Yeah. So, anyways. I love it. That could be other podcast. I know. (laughs) I love love the boundary conversation. I, I think because I, too, have, like, struggled so much with it, and in historically in my family for generations and generations there have been probably no boundaries that existed (laughs) and on either side uh, like you know both sides of the family and so um it's really new territory and it is hard like it hasn't been easy and to be able to be finding my own way through it has been so is so rewarding that it makes me want to keep showing up whereas like if you would have talked to me about this a year ago I would have like been like oh fuck boundaries like seriously yeah. it's just yeah. like fluffy woo woo talk but for, for a people pleaser oof. yeah <laughs> painful yeah totally so I am curious Janelle so I heard you Arlene say that when you were a little girl you were like girls are weak. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to be like a boy. And I also, not those words, but similar mentality of like, I wish I was a boy. I am going to totally suppress my femininity. Um, Not totally, but like, I'm going to suppress aspects of my femininity that I perceive as not like worthy. Um, And like, I never cried like all these really masculine things. Um, I am tough as nails. I can get through anything. I can do it myself. I'm, you know, whatever. And, you know, at a certain point, the levy broke. And I now play with the honoring of both the masculine and the feminine within me. But Janelle, did you grow up with that same thing? Is that just like a societal thing? Uh-huh. Um, I don't think so. You I didn't. I feel like I was a real big softy growing up. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> I would never I have imagined that. that. Cried. Yeah, I know. Well, that's like people always say that to me. They're like, "You must have been that brave kid." I'm like, "No, I cried at everything." That's like so I was funny. a kid, kindergarten. My mom dropped me off, and I would just like cry and hold on to her and like beg her not to go. Like I never did overnight summer camp because I was too scared to. Oh my gosh. Not like stay overnight. Yeah. I'll- I was a little baby. I cried over everything. Wow. <laughs> you have not been friends, JR. No, me neither. <laughs> uh, yeah, you would have probably hated me. Dude, me and Arlene <laughs> would have been, like, bullying you. <laughs> probably. Probably. It's not, sounds about it's accurate. It's really not funny, but. No. <laughs> You're like, uh-huh. <laughs> Rachel? Yeah. I, I never bullied girls. 
me too. Yeah. I, I feel like I grew into that in my adult life. <laughs> I made a lot of boys cry in school, and I made a lot of men cry as well. So yeah. my bullying was not with women. It was with men. Yeah. And I could handle women crying around me. I just was – I didn't allow myself to cry. Yeah. But I – would feel a little bit more comfortable with women, but if men showed any form of like vulnerability or crying or eyes watered, that's it. Like I was not, we were not dating anymore. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. See, my brother's super sensitive, so I feel like he kind of kept me, he was the soft one. My mom's always like, you go. My mom loves me, and we are super close. But she, sometimes she'll be like, Rachel. Sometimes you can just be so cold. And then I'm like, What? No. <laughs> and my brother's just like this sweet little angel boy who like animals crawl up on his fingers and like just perch on his shoulders, like just the sweetest soul you've ever met in your entire life. And I'm like, All right, I'm gonna fight you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, funny, funny. You should say that because. My daughter is definitely more masculine and energy. Like, yeah, that's a whole other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> My sons are definitely more, definitely more sensitive. Like, my my sons are more fuzzy, like warm fuzzy. Yeah. My daughter is not. So funny. And I, I think I, speaking of narratives, and I just posted a, a, a post on my Instagram on narratives. I think with my daughter, I wanted her to not, like, the narrative was, I'm going to raise you so that you never have to depend on a man, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that you are independent, and then I raised my sons to, and I never want, oops, hold on, hold on, hold on, did I mute myself? Okay, no, yeah. um, and I was afraid that, not afraid, but with my sons, I think the reason they're more um, apt to show their their emotions and, and be more, you know, they're more warm and fuzzy is because I wanted them to be um, loving yeah. and kind women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So I think that makes sense. Well, yeah. even for me, too, like, I grew up softer like that, but then, like, late high school, I feel like I had a lot of things that like bad relationships and people yeah. treating me like crap and and then that's what flipped it right and then I was like I'm gonna anyone who talks to me like same thing like guys I'm gonna come at me I'll fight you I'll never be hurt again you know yeah. so I do think it's yeah it's that narrative that we get whether it's from you know being younger or just going through experiences yeah. and then I'm like this will never happen again I'm an independent woman yeah come at me I I just wrote a, a, a post about this, that narratives are either passed down to us or we picked them up through our personal experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, one breakup boy, and I was like, this sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll, link, we'll link to your blog post in the show notes, Arlene. Yeah. Oh, I need to read it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Arlene, tell us about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zig. Um, tell us about the documentary you're working on. Oh, okay. Um, well, the documentary from vaginal atrophy to the documentary. <laughs> yeah. But this is my life. Zig yeah. zigzag. 
Um, well, in 2015, um, maybe even 2014, but 2015, I decided that I was going to go back to Cuba and take my mother's ashes and um, meet the family that uh, I hadn't seen since I left uh, my country. I was born in Cuba. We uh, came to the U.S. in 1970. And so at that time, I had not been back to um, Cuba for about 45 years. And so um, I was sharing that with a friend uh, that I was going back to Cuba. And then I started sharing a little bit more about my story. And he said, Eileen, you have to share you have to share your story. You have to document this. And I laughed and I said, what do you mean? Like, I, what do you mean I have to document it? And I'm like, well, I, I do plan to write a book someday. And he goes, no, 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 you have to film this. And he's, he's a film, he's a director. Mm. He, and I, and I said, I, I know nothing about filming. So he planted that seed. And after many months of, you know, rumbling with the idea I decided that my story mattered, and more importantly, that sharing my story might inspire other women to tell to tell theirs. And so, um, because I do believe that we all have a story to share, and no no two paths, as I often say, no two fingerprints are alike, no two paths are alike, and there's always someone out there that feels terminally unique that when we share our story, that's the power in, in that me too, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so I, I'm filming a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And so we did a, a crowdfund and I have, you know, friends that are in, in the film industry. And again, when people tell me like, wow, like how is it that now you're filming this documentary and you went back to Cuba and you did a crowdfund how you know tell us please guys as I often say I feel like my life has been a series of events where I literally like thump 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 (laughs) (laughs) and I I you know I I fall I stumble and I get up and I'm like oh I'm I'm in a documentary. Like, <laughs> I, I wish I could say that I was very methodical about it. I wasn't. Um, but I I have this documentary that I have filmed. It's called A Refugee's Heart. Um, if I, I knew how much that uh, filming that was, if I knew how much that was going to Oh, that process was going to take out of me what you know how it, it literally physically emotionally uh, I guess that would be psychologically um, I don't know if I already said spiritually but if I knew how much that was going to demand um, I, I, I don't think I would have done it yeah I don't think I've done it Um you know, speaking of trauma, I did EMDR treatments um, before going back, and and still, um, so much trauma was was um, triggered. Yeah, um, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, I think it's it was in 2013, 
and I had no idea that I had PTSD. And um, going back to you know being a refugee, leaving a country as uh, a refugee, not as uh, oh we're going to decide to go to this other country, but we could always return when we want to, and being um, uh, going you know being displaced for other reasons other you know that are not necessarily like choice right mm -hmm. it's a whole different um it's it's a whole different experience yeah and so you know my father died I never saw him again and so going back to my country and hearing the stories of all these women you know, speaking of, of women and telling their story and not feeling and, and seeing just like generations of addiction and codependency and mental illness. And they have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea the amount of trauma that, I, I mean, literally when I came back, I had to put down this documentary and a lot of people have been asking me recently, like, I think what's going on with the documentary and I'm I'm starting to pick it up again because it does it's it's very sad to see just generations and generations of women that have trauma yeah you know women have all all basically divorced like there's no marriages intact in my family mm. oh. do you everyone is like divorced yeah or or single, you know, they, there's no like long-term relationship. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's so interesting to your point of like, all of this stuff is running rampant and they all have it. So no one can see it. Like everyone's experiencing it. And so no one can, it's almost like no one can see it. No one could see it. No one could see it. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm the first person on both sides of my family that, you know, as we say in the world of, of recovery, the veil was lifted. Mm. Why that's my, my story and the first of generations that the veil was lifted, I don't know. Um, but I'm so grateful, I should say but, and I'm so grateful that that is my story. Yeah. And that I could now use the, you know, tell the story of my family and hopefully um, help my generations to come, my children and my children's children, you know, um, will know, oh, addictions exist in my family. Oh, men mental illness exists in my family. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I was also diagnosed with bipolar two and, um, I'm very open about this and it's, you know, Rachel, when you ask me if, if everything's on the table, uh, you know, before I answered you, I was like, Oh, is everything on the table? <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot to put on the table yeah. and, you know, I am in the business world, um, you know, I, I am a professional in the corporate space. And, you know, once you put things online, uh, there they are. Mm -hmm. And I had to make a decision this, this year. 
about being authentic and Brene Brown is my Beyonce. <laughs> and um, yeah, everybody was waiting for the homecoming to come out and I was waiting for, you know, Brene Brown's uh, Netflix special. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm like, okay, how vulnerable do I want to be? You know, how how open do I want to be with this? Because is this going to come back one day and haunt me in the sense of, oh, we, you know, we don't want to hire her. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she's, she's bipolar. Is she going to go off one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm here to say that just like, you know, vaginal atrophy doesn't have to find <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, mental illness doesn't have to define you. Yeah. Uh, I'm so grateful that there is so much, you know, there's so much um, resource out there that we could access. And there's so many, I should say, there's so many, you know, um, resources for for us out there. And getting out of denial is the first step. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard for me to get that diagnosis. Really, really, really hard. It was very, it was, I, I have to say, um, I was able to admit that I was an alcoholic. I was able to, to admit, you know, that I was a recovering sex and love addict. Um, but admitting that now I have mental illness, that was very, very tough pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. well, and again, it's very vulnerable. I don't know if when I hear this podcast, I'm going to say, you shared too much um, but you know the way I look at it now if someone's going to judge me and not hire me because of this and not see this resilient woman that is kicking ass and that is not apologizing for my journey and if I'm able to help someone else on their journey then you know what so be it there's, I have a mentor right now who had a stroke and he is in a nursing home. So it's like heartbreaking for me and is what it is. But that's what he used to always say to me um, when I was leaving the corporate world and figuring out how to share the nuances of who I am. At the time I had like a multicolored mohawk and I was getting tattoos and he was like, the place that is going to reject you for the way that you look, because he's like, you don't present not put together. You, you just have a different look to you. And the place that isn't going to be able to see through that to hear and experience the soul that you are and the beautiful story that exists within you isn't the right place for you. And that's what I hear you saying, which again is a lot easier said than done in practice. Um, and I want to, really like acknowledge my gratitude for you. Oh, I'm going to start crying for you being a model that exists in the world who is willing to not allow the trauma to hold her back anymore. That's what I hear. And you being able to share the bumps that you have, you know, quote unquote, fallen down and arrived at. I've heard you say and, and get to a place where you could see that when you got up from those places, you found opportunity there. 
And that is such a beautiful modeling and to be able to share with the world that there's not shame and there's discomfort, but there's not shame is everything that I needed, wanted, hoped, hope, and like just so grateful to be experiencing and to have that played out as like a, a second bullet point in someone that really matters to me. It's like validating of my my friend Mark, and then to have you here in my life as he is kind of like falling back, I just am very, very grateful. So thank you for being that modeling for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, there's nothing else to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Thank you. Of course. Thank you for asking me to to share all this. It's the first time I do it. <laughs> you do oh, it well. Honored. You do it so well. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, I thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying I do it so well. Um, it's so easy for me to hear other women um, that have, have that college degree that you know have you know, just this huge tribe like Brene Brown and her and you guys, what you guys are doing in the world. When when Sarah initially um, introduced me to your podcast and I was hearing, you know, that, that, that one podcast I was about making friends and all that stuff. Anyways, the first thing that goes through my mind is, why would they want to have me on? Is she... Is she just being nice to Sarah? No. <laughs> no. This is not amazing. Is she just being nice? Like, it's just crazy, right? It's just crazy how, how, and for women, I see us doing this. You know, I work in a corporation, and I see that men, men are like, F it. I don't know how to do this, but F it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like, don't let them figure out that I don't know how to do this. Let them. <laughs> women, women, we will we will cancel ourselves out and say the no before anyone else says the no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I see it and I'm so glad that I said yes, because honestly, that was the first thing I thought is, is Oh my goodness. They, she's just, she's just saying yes to Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. You made me cry. You're like my, <laughs> Because she doesn't want to hurt Sarah's feelings. <laughs> and so the fact that you felt that, you know, what I shared, just, um, you know, the, the, the hearing you right now and, and hearing your, you know, just you being in your, you know, just experiencing your vulnerability and everything both of you guys have shared, I'm like, okay, this is, this is, this is what it's about, yeah. you know, and and just sitting with not saying something right after you feeling your feelings around it because it's so easy for me to be like, thank you, and like, <laughs> <laughs> and feel uncomfortable that you were crying and just staying quiet. That was like, whoa, that's recovery. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, thank you both for um, giving no, thank you, seriously. This, this opportunity to, to do this for the first time, and 
and I probably will feel very uncomfortable when I hear it, <laughs> and will probably uh, judge myself at some point and think, oh, Arlene, you said too much, but trusting that, trusting the process, trusting that living my true north, right? This is what this is about. Um, will help someone else. If one, as we say in the 12-step world, if one, just for one other person, if it gives one other person hope, then we've done our job. That's exactly what we said when we started this. We're like, we're literally like, okay, so what if literally we get no one? And we're like, we just want one person to have a positive experience from this. Mm -hmm. That's it. One 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 person. person. One yeah. person. Yeah. That's it. And we always say that in that and you know, in the community of recovery. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's one person, one person at a time. Like who cares if only one person listens to this? If that one person says, I just got diagnosed with men, you know, a mental uh, chemical um, imbalance and listening to Arlene and her zigzag yeah. <laughs> story. You know, it's definitely been an un, you know, it's not, it's, it's very messy. And I just, we didn't touch on spirituality, but that's something else I want to say before, you know, if you guys don't mind and you could edit it, however, you could edit it out. I'm not attached to whatever you guys edit in or edit out. (laughs) I really don't edit in or out much. (laughs) You know, the spiritual component of my life, if you would have told me I I would have been a, on a spiritual path as well, and people have asked me that. Um, Arlene, like I hear, you know, you you, this is like become a very big part of your life. It's where I lead from. Um, it's it's a big part of my my serenity, my emotional sobriety. Um, it's messy. It's messy. My spiritual path is very messy. And I love it that way. I love it that way. Yeah. And that's something else that I that I say. Like, you never have to dress up for God. Like, you never have to say, "Well, I need to get it together in order to have a spiritual path." Like, that is not true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that God is like the three-letter bad word nowadays. And and you know, for me, I it's been a very, 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 very messy path. Um, and I love it that way. I really do. It's awesome. I love it. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. yeah. And if you, if, okay. So if somebody wanted to find your documentary, how would they go about like keeping up with when it would be a, like live living in the world? Or is that something that you're creating for you and your family? Well, actually, there is. There's actually a Facebook and an Instagram um, uh, page that I have for a refugee's heart. Okay. They've gone dormant because I have just been focusing on developing the actual um, story Mm -hmm. because the original um, arc of the story has changed with the content that we actually filmed. Okay. I had no idea that what we were going to come away with, what, you know, now it's going into a different direction, which is around 
narratives and um, trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I haven't done anything to update those pages. So really my Instagram right now is um, Arlene Millian. And then I'm going to start uh, talking more about a refugee's um, heart. But there are those two Facebook, um, Facebook, a refugee's heart and Instagram, a refugee's um, heart. I do have those two um, Instagram, those two uh, pages. Okay, cool. And if people wanted to reach out to you, Instagram's the best way? Yeah, Instagram. I'm Arlene Millian. Okay, cool. And we'll we'll link all of that in the show notes. Um, and then my favorite question, if you could sum up in one word how you live your true north, what would that word be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kept on going back and forth with this one. I go between resilient and tenacious. Um, but if I had to pick one, I would say, oh, that's a hard one. I would have to go with brave. Mm. You know, I, I, yeah, like brave, brave girl. Uh-huh. Like, and I, and I do a lot of uh, affirmations is a big part of of my my spiritual path. And I often tell myself, like, yeah, look at you, brave girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Look at you. Look check you out brave girl so I would say brave cool I I have um audibles that I hear from people so there's another girl we had on a few episodes ago who she always says when she self-soothes she's from Louisiana and she'll be like it's okay baby girl and like in my head I can hear her saying it to me when I'm like sad (laughs) and now I'm gonna hear you all right you got this brave girl (laughs) like I'm super excited Brave girl, brave girl, and and also when I talk to my um, inner child, I, I her name is Lil Mama, L I L. I love, <laughs> love that. It. My mine and, is yeah, Lil Mama, I and I keep a photo of her um, in my office. I love so that. when things get so serious as they can in you know the corporate world, mm-hmm. I look at Lil Mama and I'm like, oh, there she is, hey, Lil Mama. <laughs> Oh my god, my inner oh, child's name is Lil Ray Ray. Oh, I love it. I know. She's a I don't. I feel like I need to name my inner yeah. child. I don't know my inner child's well, name. Let us know when you do. I know. Seriously, I'm gonna have to think about this. It'll have to be a good one. Uh, well, Arlene, you sound, you sound like a little like rap. Rap group. I know. Yeah, probably. I, mean, I would say now I'm like disaster with little. No, see, but like for me, Jr. has been my progression uh, into the person I am today. Like Jr. is my like badass adult yeah, persona. Yeah, it, it is pretty badass. Yeah, it's yeah. like when you don't want to mess with me, it's like Jr. is here. Get on my way. You know, like that's. Yeah. <laughs> I think it needs to be softer for the girl that was crying when yeah. she got dropped off at school. Yeah. <laughs> I'll think about it. Get back to you on the next podcast. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, mamas. Thank you so much. Yeah. Been- yes. Thank you so much. This has been really amazing. And I just appreciate being able to hear your experiences and that you were so open with us. Yeah. means a you. lot. Thank you. Thank you. And, and big hugs towards you with you guys. And hopefully I'll get 
to meet you guys in person someday. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I would love that. This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. And if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Until next time.